0: It's Hump Day, it's Bengals versus Chiefs week. Everything you could ask for is all coming together, and we're not even halfway through the week. Welcome to another edition of Strictly Stripes. I'm your host, Muhammad Ahmad, along with Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik. And you want to talk about excitement. Jamar Chase, back in practice this week. Of course, we all know he did not play last week. We thought he was going to, but he said today that he told Zach Taylor he wanted to feel a little more comfortable waiting another week. Of course, nothing is official for this weekend, but all signs point to him being back against the Chiefs. We all know what happened the first time they played in then called Paul Brown Stadium last year with his 200-plus-yard game, one of the best performances of all time. And if you still think things haven't gotten more interesting, earlier today, Justin Reed, who was a defensive back for the Kansas City Chiefs, was talking to P.J. Green of Fox 4 in Kansas City, And he basically – well, it's funny. So he talked about what he would have done differently if he played for the Chiefs last year because this is his first year in Kansas City. And he talked about making those big tackles. And he goes on to confuse – so first, he was trying to refer to Hayden Hurst, and he confused him for Tyler Higbee, who doesn't even play for either team. He plays for the L.A. Rams. And then he confused him for Higgins, and he was like, oh, yeah. Higgins, I'm gonna lock down Higgins. But he was really trying to talk about Hurst the whole time. And he actually Reed himself went on Twitter and said, Oh, I was talking about Hurst, by the way. Then DJ Reader responds to him and says, You better back it up along those lines. And then Jamar Chase is like, We're gonna see on Sunday. So I mean the Bengals are already at it. I mean that's uh there's already I mean, we've talked about if this is a rivalry or not. <laughs> at this point, I think with what's going on in the history, I mean Safe to say Sunday is going to be heck act of a lot of fun.
1: Well, I mean, uh, DJ Reader also tweeted about this too. Uh, DJ Reader quote tweeted it on uh, this afternoon, which is uh, Wednesday. Got to know your personnel better to be making promises. Um, and then some random <laughs> fan said, you know, you scared. And he said, LMAO of what? Um, so, I mean, I, I think what's kind of cool about this week is that you really had a lot of going. You had, you know, two of the t- better teams in the AFC, two of the better teams in the league rematch of last year's AFC championship game, two really good young quarterbacks. You had all of it. And now um, it looks like you're going to get, and obviously we can talk about this later. It looks like you're going to get Jamar chase back. looks like you're going to get Joe Mixon back. And now you've got Twitter beef. Um, I don't know. It just, uh, I saw that today and I didn't really think anything of it. And then all of a sudden the players started commenting and, um, I don't know. I just think it adds a little extra something fun to uh, to an already fun atmosphere on Sunday.
2: Well, I think it's a, a lesson for a player. There's a reason why coaches and players refer to the opposing team by numbers, because uh, they don't have to remember names that way. No, that's serious. Because, like, no, well, I, yeah. you're it's, right. it's really hard to you're remember right. names. So when you're watching film, all you see is the number. So you'll be like, you know, that was always something that uh, in college, the coach the coach would always just be like, number nine is good, number one, uh, really good receiver. Uh, NFL coaches tend to not do that. They get more specific, um, that, you know, uh, with names. But players, uh, to avoid something like that, especially when you're talking trash, like I think it's funny is that he was trying to, you know, say he was going to lock everybody down. And he, like, invented people he was going to lock down. like conf- I think he said T. Higby. Uh, was the name. Yeah, he did. So, he did. That's not a person that exists. So, like, uh, that's the best part of it to me. Uh, and like, yeah, it's fun when trash talking happens, but the idea that that I I think T. Higgins should wear a Higby jersey, uh, to, I don't know if that would be allowed, um, but. And just maybe blame the equipment guy. So they spelled it wrong. I don't know where they got well, the. If idea. we
1: if we talk to T Higgins on Thursday or Friday, Mike, that's a great question to
2: ask T. Higgins. And, Hay- and Hayden
0: Hurst too, because ultimately he first you talked about numbers. He said eighty-eight. First he said eighty-eight. Then he said T Higby. Then he said T Higgins. And then he went on Twitter and said, "Oh, I meant Hayden Hurst the whole time because he said word for word that dude can't block." So he was pretty much insulting Hayden Hurst's blocking ability, which that's disrespectful because he had some like. You could go watch the film. Pretty good well, boss he did get, and Hurst
2: is 88, so He did get the number right. So he should have just said no names. Right. And especially if you're going to talk trash, right. you got to get the or, or own it and be like, well, whatever their names are, I don't care. Just say you were trying to be disrespectful on purpose. But, um, yeah, fun, but uh, amusing.
0: Well, guys, you know, the crazy thing is that wasn't the only trash talking coming out of Kansas City. You know, there was actually more to it. Chris Jones, and I know Andrew, you are going to have something on Chris Jones in the week about how he's just one of the best nose tackles in his position. But uh, he was talking with reporters, you know, around the same time Justin Reed was talking, and he was saying, and he was being sarcastic, but he was pretty much telling Carlos Dunlap, who, for those who don't know, Dunlap is a defensive end for Kansas City, played for Seattle the last two years after playing in Cincinnati for ten years. And we'll get to why he left in a second. But he told Carlos Dunlap sarcastically, "Oh." You know, they hate you. You're going back to the team that hates you. So, like, even he's trying to stir up the pot. It's like they just want to stir this whole pot up and make this game just into just, uh, I don't know, man. Just super hype, exciting, whatever you want to call it. But um, the exact clip was also on Twitter, too. That also was from uh, Mr. PJ Green from Fox Kansas City. But, man, I don't know. I mean, I know trash talk is, you know, uh, it's not a new thing, but... Golly, it makes you think this really is gonna be a rivalry, like if it's not already.
1: Well, I like it when, like Mike said, like I I, I prefer it when when this happens because, like in college, um, you know, Vir, you know, Virginia Tech, who obviously Mike used to cover, like Virginia Tech's playing. I don't know, like Washington in some random beginning of the season game, like Virginia Tech's coaches genuinely have probably no idea who most of the players are. They haven't recruited them. They haven't done anything in the NFL. You know who people are like, you know, who guys are. You you've played, they, you know, everybody changes teams, Uh, you know, coaching staff's always, you know, somebody's coached somebody else. And so I, I think it's cool when you have like a situation like that, where obviously like some of these guys, they know their, they know their names. Um, but I think it's cool when people just kind of just put aside the oh the gentlemanly stuff when everybody knows you don't really mean it. Um, because like I don't I don't need to hear another week of uh, forever really. I don't need to hear another week of a team say oh you know they're a bunch of tough suckers and this and that and the other and you know they're a great team and we just got to play our best and blah 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 like. I think it's cool when like teams actually say like yeah we want to beat these guys or yeah I I hope I'm gonna lock this dude down like what are they su- and and like the other thing too I'm glad that they say that because it's interesting but also what are they supposed to say like imagine if he was sitting there and he was just like man T Higgins is really damn good I don't know how I'm gonna stop this guy like I like That's it when true. this happens I just think it's interesting I, I think it, it makes our jobs
0: interesting week. I like it, it makes our
1: jobs interesting and I think it just adds something to the week that maybe wasn't there before.
0: Yeah, and going back to Dunlap, so the reason why Chris Jones was being sarcastic about it by saying, oh, you know, the Bengals hate you that you came to us, a.k.a. the Chiefs, was, I mean, for those who don't know, Dunlap was a franchise player, played over 10 years in Cincinnati. Lou Aniromo comes in 2019, changes up the defensive scheme that they have in place today against the traditional 4-3 Dunlap was used to. He didn't like that. He saw his role reduced. He was very visible about that on his Twitter, where he was basically giving away the Bengals game plan and expressing his discontent to where the Bengals, who, like we talked about before the trade deadline, who almost never ever, ever trade, traded him to Seattle, where Pete Carroll runs that system, where he thrived until he came to Kansas City this season. Um, it was not the best departure. I think in the end, he left on a good note, but the buildup was kind of a falling out, so I think some people might have forgotten about that since, you know, it was during COVID. It was two years ago, and Dunlap obviously isn't in his prime anymore. But, man, Pacor is going to be rocking. Stakes are on the line for supremacy in the conference. And, of course, for the Bengals, they want to stay foot-for-foot with Baltimore. It's going to be a lot of great fun. And, of course, the fun that we were talking about on Monday that you could talk about today, tomorrow, and every other day of the week – is Burrow versus Mahomes. I mean, Tyler Boyd said it himself, like we mentioned. He thinks that's the future rendition of Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. It's a small sample size, but, I mean, Michael, you mentioned this on Monday. If the longevity is there, it could very well be that, depending on how the rest of the AFC plays out with, say, Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and guys like that who are also you know really good at what they do. But, uh, you know, uh, Andrew, I know we've been talking a lot about this. I mean, the thing about Joe Burrow is... You can look at his numbers, and I wrote about this earlier. I mean, statistically, if you compare his numbers uh, to Mahomes in those two head-to-head matchups, Burrow's actually been really successful. He's only thrown one pick. His pass rating is well above uh, Mahomes' and the completion percentage, I think, for him is like 70%, which is already close to what he's throwing now. I mean, if you're Kansas City's defense, you know, like if you're Chris Jones and you're Justin Reed, who we just mentioned, what do you do to keep Joe Burrow from looking like Joe Shiesty? Um,
1: no, I, I think the number one thing that, you know, we've seen give teams problem or give the Bengals problems that teams have done is they get pressure after Burrow. Um, I mean, obviously I think the, the, the seven sacks, you know, I think those performances are done. Um, But, you know, one of the things about Burrow is that, you know, Burrow, you know, he doesn't make the traditional or he, excuse me, he doesn't make the, the flashy plays that you see Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Uh, Lamar Jackson make, like Joe Burrow, uh, he's not going to run for 80 yards for a touchdown or he's not going to roll out to his right and then be getting tackled and while horizontal to the ground, throw the ball 30 yards in the air. Like that's just not Joe Burrow's game. He is one of those more traditional guys who is a drop back passer. So I think the way that you defend them is kind of what you saw against, you know, Brady. I think that that's one of the things that you know, back in the day, made the Giants so successful when they played um, uh, when they uh, when they played the Ch- or, excuse me when they played the Patriots because what they were able to do was they were able to get pressure on um, they were able to get pressure on Brady with four uh, that was kind of just always the bugaboo for uh, for the Patriots because then you could drop back guys in coverage you could double some guys and I think that that's what you're gonna have to do and like I think the ironic part I was looking this up today. Uh, the defensive coordinator for the Giants, when they knocked off the Patriots off their 16 and out run, ended their perfect season with Steve Spagnolo. And Steve Spagnolo is currently their defensive coordinator. Of the, uh, is currently the defensive coordinator of the Chiefs. So I think that there is kind of a little bit of similarity there, and just in the way Joe Burrow and Tom Brady kind of approach the position, and the way that their styles are kind of similar. So I think you got to get after him because you can't let Jamar and T and you know all these guys kind of run free down the field or have four or five seconds to get open because if you do, they're going to kill you.
0: Michael, I mean, if you're Steve Spagnolo, like, like like Andrew mentioned, I mean, Steve Spagnolo is a defensive genius. We could talk about him and Andrew for days, but if you're Steve Spagnolo, what do you kind of learn from not just the AFC Championship, but, you know, that regular season matchup in Paycor last year? I mean, what do you change if you change anything at all?
2: I'd probably defend Jamar Chase.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, w- w- with Chase, we we can get to that, but I'm saying with Burrow specifically, like, if you look at his playoff games last year, where he had the most mobility, I think was that Kansas City game, because obviously he had nowhere to go against Tennessee, and with the Raiders, he, it was mostly throwing the ball, but he had a few really good scrambles where he got away from Chris Jones on at least one of them. How do you contain him to make sure he has nowhere to go? Because we saw how he looked against Tennessee. He had a comfortable pocket where he was rolling out at least nine times with four good runs. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, but I, you know, it's funny – I, reporters, uh, and Zach gets, <laughs> I see him kind of chuckle about it, and he gets asked a lot about, like, games last year. And it's like, to him, like, they don't matter, right? Like, what happened last year, there's different personnel. Uh, what teams do different is year-to-year is, is like, uh, you know, you approach things differently. And so, like, his point is, like, you kind of throw out those games in terms of, like, what, hap- what worked and what didn't. I mean, you can kind of look at some of it schem- schematically, but... Um, There's not a lot of carryover um, from those matchups because Kansas City, you know, obviously made a lot of changes defensively, particularly the secondary. Um, So, I mean, they're going to have a different game plan. You know, they're not going to just come in and say, like, we need to make a few tweaks on what we did last year. They'll sort of like, you know, I I expect that they'll reinvent what they did, especially with the, you know, getting younger and uh, more athletic and and things like that. So, you know, we talk a lot about those games, but I I don't think that's sort of how – um, the coaching staff approaches it. They'll look at what um, Cincinnati's done well and what hasn't what hasn't worked throughout this season. Um, and I think they're going to see, uh, you know, what areas they want to attack. I don't think they're going to base it on kind of what they did uh, last year. I think Andrew uh, brought up a good point: is that when this team uh, offensively is vulnerable, is when the offensive line isn't getting pushed in the run game, and then um, they allow a lot of pressure, uh, particularly against. Um, you know, the best pass rosters they've faced this season, um, that's given them problems and kind of sped them up and got them out of the sink early and then made them play catch-up. That's kind of been the blueprint for teams this year. Um, That hasn't happened recently. Um, You know, they were in kind of a dogfight at Tennessee, but otherwise they've been up early in these games and kind of been able to dictate um, how they've they've played out.
0: I hear what you're saying on that. I wasn't really focusing too much on last year, but I'm saying say you look at the tape from – Tennessee and Pittsburgh which you know Burrow had two good games against both of those teams and he did a lot of the same things that he did against the Chiefs not just twice but specifically in the championship obviously you know with Chris Jones they're gonna make sure that he really gets his number on Burrow because I'm sure he thinks a lot about that game and how he kind of let what he did let Burrow slip away from him, especially on third down in a game that was really close. So, yeah, you're definitely going to see Spagnola play uh, a lot more all-out blitzes. I think that's what Zach Taylor said too. Is yeah, there's going to be a lot more new schemes, a lot more all-out blitzes, and I think we'll definitely see more of that because I don't think they went as hard on Burrow with that. But I mean, with Jamar Chase, and of course we go back to the excitement, Jamar Chase. I like to say it. He's on the chase. I mean, if you're Justin Reed, how are you going to back up that talk? I mean, obviously, he's more focused on Hurston Higgins, but like if you got to get on Jamar Chase, I mean, how do you talk the talk and walk the walk like he's been saying pretty much all day? Uh,
1: well, if, if you're going to defend Jamar Chase, typically, um, I mean, I think the answer kind of like we've seen is, is double coverage. Um, I think that that is what you've, you know, early in the year teams – you know, what they would do is they would throw their number one corner on Higgins and then they would, you know, corner number two on, on Jamar and, you know, some safety help over the top almost all the time. So, uh, you know, one, but one of the things that I would do specifically in this game uh, is, is I would try to make Jamar's life a, a living hell. Like I would press him at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, I would try to be physical with him. I mean, you're talking about a guy who hasn't played in over a month at this point, nearly, you know, what is six weeks or whatever now? Like, you're, you're talking about a guy who, like, you don't want to, and, and, I, and I don't want that to come across as, oh, well, you got to hit him in his hip. No, that's dirty. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he hasn't played. You got to see if he's in game shape. Like, you got to see if he's got to shake some rust off, and you've got to jam him at the line of scrimmage. You've got to play tight coverage on him. And then if he burns you, he burns you, and then you adjust. But I think to come out of the gate, um, you know, I would I would play really aggressive against him, and I would kind of make him, make him prove that, He is 100 percent again. You know, he is back to full strength. He is in game shape. The rust is gone. Um, You know, that's what I would do if I was Kansas City. I would I would certainly try to make his life tough and, you know, just kind of make him work to get open to see, you know, hey, is he like I said, is, is his conditioning at a level that, you know, maybe it was going into that Falcons or Saints game you know, is his physicality at a level that it was going into that game. Because, like, we saw this offense, the specifically the offensive line against the Steelers, when you hadn't played together, when you hadn't played, you know, I know it's more of a group position than wide receiver is, but when you hadn't played together or you hadn't played reps in a while, it takes a minute to get rolling. And for them, for the offensive line, it took, you know, basically like two games for them to fully get, uh, you know, the the training camp legs out. So for for, if I were the Chiefs, you know, I'm bumping around with Jamar and I know that kind of spits in the face of everything that I would do if he was, if he had been playing for these last four weeks, but this is a unique circumstance.
0: Yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense and we're going to definitely talk more about the specifics on chase, what he's going to look like, what he might not look like plus more on what a new system would look like with Joe Mixon coming back or if there really is anything to look at the new system. All that and much more on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thank you for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, of course, we've been talking a lot about Jamar Chase, the big story of the day. He's been gone for the last four games. Probably not going to be the case this weekend. He should be back. The one thing, obviously, that we were just talking about is, you know, when you're coming off of uh, the hip injury that he had, you know, and the, the timeline of it was basically first touchdown, He scored against the Saints is when he first injured it. Still scored another touchdown, which shows you he's a freak, later in the game, which was the go-ahead game-winning score. Was practicing the next week before Atlanta. Felt comfortable with it. Had a great game, but before halftime is when he ultimately had that that hurt, that injury that sidelined him for the next couple weeks. So, I mean, honestly, the crazy thing is he hurt himself on that first touchdown, and he played as long as he did until he finally was basically, like, injured, injured to where he couldn't play. Like, that is – is that just toughness or is that dude just a freak?
2: Well, yeah. he said it was adrenaline. And, I mean, that's something athletes yeah. talk about uh, a lot where you're just playing uh, through it. And then after the game, you know, uh, you know, Mike Hilton talked about what his finger just kind of blew up, you know, three sizes too big and just like, well – I didn't realize that was happening. You know, it's like these guys uh, get in a zone and, and are able to do physical things. I mean, but I mean, Jamar Chase is able to do physical things that you know, you would I mean, these guys running twenty-one miles per hour, you know, it's like the these are different level athletes to begin with. So it does does it surprise me? No. I mean, it they, they they he does crazy stuff. I mean, just in terms of his uh I mean when you hear the uh play, his teammates in the locker room talk about his um athletic, you know, abilities with such, like, awe that, you know, that makes you think, what can't he do? That's why you're surprised when he is injured and he couldn't play.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I was talking to him one time. <laughs> it brings back a flashback. I was talking to him about his matchup against A.J. Terrell, which was, you know, the Falcons game when he ended up just getting hurt and not being back since then. I asked him, I was like, you know, why, why do you feel so comfortable that, you're going to beat Terrell. And in his own words, he said twice, I got that dog in me, bro. Just looked at me and said, I got that dog in me. So, you know, if they were doing those x-rays, I don't think they literally saw a dog in his lungs. But he's just that dude. He's He's got that dog. So he is probably going to be that dog outside. And we'll see how much dog he's got inside of him. But like you guys mentioned, uh, Mixon is practicing. Technically not completely out of the protocol, but say he does suit up Sunday and he's good to go. We've seen two great games from Samaje Pirine. We even saw just a little bit of Travion Williams and enough to be impressed. Obviously, Joe Mixon is going to be the RB1. We're not debating that, but do you see maybe the play calling being a little differently with the running backs with what we've seen from Pirine? Or do you see it just kind of going back to the way it's always been or just not changing, basically?
1: Um... I think the usage might go back to to what it was. Uh, You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we kind of go back to that, you know, the situation where Samaje is your third down back. He's in there to kind of pass block. Um, But what I wouldn't be surprised is or what I wouldn't be surprised at is if, you know, the Bengals look at it and they say, okay, you know, maybe a third down for Samaje doesn't mean an exclusive blocking role. Uh, You know, maybe you can throw a screen on third down. Maybe you can throw a swing route on third down if it's third and short. Like, I think what he kind of proved was that he can handle, um, you know, he can handle passes coming out of the backfield. Um, You know, if you run the ball two or three times in a row for, you know, a total of 15 yards or whatever it is, and, and Mixon needs a breather, like, doesn't mean you have to stop running the ball at that point. I think that, you know, Samaje kind of proved that he can handle a role like that. So I I just think it gives you another option. And I think, you know, when you get to this point in the season, options are so big that you just, you need to be able to kind of plug and play. And I think that that's what Samaje proved they can do.
2: I think there's a lot of question marks there um, in terms of what, look, Mixon's been on the shelf for almost 10 days now. And we don't know if he cleared the protocol uh today. He was still in it as of today. He couldn't clear it without practicing. Um and then I don't know how quick the turnaround is between uh, that and then getting cleared by the independent. Once you make it through all five steps, you gotta get it cleared by an independent neurologist. So um did he do enough? Uh did he make it through today? If he doesn't make it through didn't make it through today. You know, Thursday and Friday is he back at full like these things can't linger. You know, it's like uh Zach was talking about earlier this season when uh, T Higgins had a concussion. Um, you know it's unpredictable and depending on the individual you never know what's gonna happen so um, will he will they be comfortable him playing on such limited practice after 10 days um, you know I, I do think that'll factor into it and they haven't really they've been very tight-lipped about his status and what you know the plan is there um, you know they didn't even say you know Samaje they didn't commit to him last week in terms of getting all the carries. I think they want it up in the air and teams kind of guessing. So I, I don't know. I think that's a big question mark. I, I don't know that we'll know who running back the, the top, the who will get the most carries, Um, you know, before the actual game, you know, because uh, who knows if Mixon will make it through and be sort of a hundred percent too.
0: Yeah. And that's a good point. Obviously you laid out the steps for the protocol, so it's all going to be contingent on that. So, Yeah, and of course, uh, I know Mixon and the running backs didn't play as much of a role in the first time they met, but of course, we all remember P. Ryan's screen pass touchdown 41 yards before halftime in the AFC Championship, which we saw against the Steelers and saw a lot of, not to that extent, against uh, Tennessee last week, but
2: big roles, big shoes to show. I should mention, Mixon had a concussion in 2017, and it caused him to miss two games. Uh, he also right. suffered it Pittsburgh, so um, you know, and does a second concussion. Uh, you know, all these guys have had concussions, but like a second diagnosed concussion in your career sort of make you, you know, how does Mixon himself approach it? Uh, that's another question we will know. He probably won't talk to the media until after he returns, but um, yeah, I, th- I don't think that's an open case shut of where we'll know um, where things are headed until the game is played. I don't expect. You know, we'll talk to Zach for a few minutes on Friday. I don't expect him to be, like, opening up and, and, and sharing any sort of specifics other than if he's, you know, what his designation will be, questionable, doubtful, or whatever.
0: Precisely, yeah. Good good stuff on that. And yeah, that's a good point you make about Mixon. That was his rookie year, and he did miss a couple games, like you said. But to kind of wrap up here, of course, we've been doing this every Wednesday, but this is only fitting given that you have the MVP frontrunner playing an MVP hopeful. So we're going to go through the NFL MVP odds once more entering week 13. So as we look at it, we got Patrick Mahomes at the top. Like I said, he's the front runner. Uh, The obviously lead guy, minus 160. He was minus 150, so a little bit changed there from last week. Right behind him, Jalen Hurts. That doesn't change. He was number two last week, plus 350 after he was plus 550 last week. Uh, No change at all whatsoever for the odds of Tua Tagovailoa at number 3. Plus 500, just like last week. Josh Allen, number 4 for the Bills. Plus 1,400, which is crazy because it was plus 700 last week, so he dipped a lot. And this is where things get interesting. Joe Burrow is still number 5, but he is plus 1,400, just like Josh Allen. And Joe Burrow's stock rises because he was plus 1,800 last week. So Mahomes, Hurts, and Tagovailoa, like we said, really not much change there, but Burrow closes the gap with Allen. So you got a little bit of movement there. And then like we said, they're you know, Mahomes and Burrow are gonna face off this weekend, so could this weekend essentially move the needle either way?
1: Uh yeah, it could move the needle, but I also think it could do I think it could move it more for Mahomes than it could for Burrow. Like if the Bengals lose even if Joe Burrow plays really well, if the Bengals lose, or if Joe Burrow, you know, he doesn't really play that well and the Bengals win a stinker. Like, I, I just don't know if if that's going to do it. I think that that, that would really kind of hurt his case um, and really elevate Mahomes. Um, you know, I think that the – like, if, if Joe Burrow wants to win MVP, like I, you know, I've said this for weeks now um, – Bengals got to win. They got to be a really, really good team by the end of the season, just in terms of record. Uh, you know, they can't be nine and eight or whatever. And also um, Joe Burrow has to finish the season on a heater and you're going to play Mahomes and Allen and Lamar. You, you've you got to win. And um, so, yeah, if, if the Bengals, like I said, if the Bengals lose or if Burrow doesn't really play that well, um, I think he might be you don't want to say cooked, but I think that might be um, really, really tough to overcome. Just because what would the Chiefs be at that point? Ten and two. Yeah, um, yeah. So the Chiefs are ten and two, and you're seven and five. I mean, it's a three game difference, and Mahomes had beaten you head to head. So that that kind of would I I would almost say put it out of reach for Burrow. I mean, obviously this is speaking without knowing how the game goes, but. It's, a, I mean, it is purely from MVP. You're That's
2: already it. declaring his MVP status dead and buried. No,
1: I'm already, de- I'm declaring it dead and buried get, if they lose. Dead,
2: dead and buried.
1: Yep. If they lose or if Burrow doesn't play that well, it's dead and buried.
2: So if they win and he doesn't play, those, has a fine game. You're saying oh, it
1: depends what you mean by fine. Like if Burrow throws like two or three picks and the Bengals win, that's
2: not that would not be definition of fine. That would be the opposite so, of fine. So
1: like what what would fine be? Like
2: pedestrian, like just yeah mediocre.
1: The yeah. Then I then I don't know if you're going to see a ton of movement. I think it would go a little bit in Burrow's favor.
2: Yeah, but um, if he wins, if he wins the head-to-head matchup against Mahomes and Allen, he's got to yeah. be the then he would be the favorite.
1: No. It's still Mahomes. One, I don't think one game is going to. Well, no, Mahomes. hang on. I
0: think Michael makes a point. Andrew. if that is the case, if he beats both of them and he does really well. Oh, in well, each if you're talking about matchup. this
1: game, if you're talking about this game, then I don't think you're going to see a ton. If he like, if they go on a heater and they win this one and then they, they beat, they've
2: won three a row. Yeah, it's only two games back in the Chiefs. In. To like that, the the standings are like it's like eleven and one and like five and five. Like it's not far. Like if they beat the Chiefs this weekend. They're yeah. eight and four, and the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are, are, are nine and three. Nine and right. three. There's one game back. And right. he has the head to head matchup. And, like, so I mean, like, I, I, I think if you get through, well, I guess Buffalo's not until the end of the season. And the other thing is, is that it doesn't help Burrow that, or maybe it does help him that the next, after the Bengals, the, <laughs> the five game stretch Kansas City has to end the season is just really surprisingly easy.
0: Oh, really? I haven't even looked at it. I, I, what are like, some what, what the games?
2: Broncos twice. Wow. Texas. They haven't, they
0: haven't played them yet. Wow. Okay. Texas, oh, wow. Wow.
2: Raiders Ooh. and Seahawks. Seahawks is probably the best team they face. But I mean, like, that's. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's something to be said that if Burrow wins a bunch of tough games and plays well, and he wins those head to head matchups,
0: there's an so, argument. Oh, yeah.
2: He I mean, He's he's closed the gap enough where it's in play if he does what he needs to do down the – what they want to do down the stretch here to lock up the playoffs and, and sure. get home field. And hey, the it's crazy not, thing is, think... Unlike Andrew, I'm saying it's the very opposite of dead and buried. <laughs> That's no, what I'm, I'm with like you. It. Dead and buried, Andrew Gillis. Yeah. Joe Burrows at repeat chances. Just
0: You're like the my hopes have
2: been... You're the media that Brian Callahan was talking about that ignored Joe Burrow's success.
1: Oh wow! Oh yeah, he did mention. You know, we we could. This could be a teaser for tomorrow. We could do it now. Uh, My hypothetical. While we're on the topic, I had a hypothetical texted to me about Burrow Mahomes. You want to do that today or tomorrow? We're already your call. It. We're already it's your call. That's,
2: a good, that's a good radio tease. That's a good, like, after the break. So we could do it tomorrow. Yeah, you know what?
1: Here, so we'll do that tomorrow. So I'll have a fun hypothetical about Burrow and Mahomes tomorrow. They don't want to.
2: But now you are me. setting the bar high. So you've said it, it has to be fun. So if it's not fun. The podcast I think, it's, ends a, I think
1: it's, I'll put it like, I think it's interesting. I think it's a good The podcast little...
2: ends right there. If we're not, if we don't find that fun, we just, we yep. shut it down. Just
0: slam the laptop. That is great. Hey, you want to tease that? I'll take it. It makes my, my life a lot easier and it makes our jobs a lot easier. So we'll have that it tomorrow. It'll be a lot of fun. But, folks, you heard Andrew. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk more about his hypothetical and how, on the flip side, the Bengals defense will stop Mahomes in his tracks from being an NFL MVP frontrunner. But, once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Neislik, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Catch you tomorrow.